0: Welcome to the Good Writing
1: Podcast. On
0: this episode, we talk about... Uh, A short story by Katherine Harlan from her debut short story collection, which came out last year in 2022. We talk about a short story named Algal Bloom. You can read an earlier version of this on the Michigan Quarterly Review.
1: Today's episode, it is about a lot of things, but it is primarily about the nature of villainy and the nature of, of what makes a character villainous and the ways in which we can make our protagonist seem villainous within a story. We also talk about the nature of a a central death metaphor that is within this piece um, that uh, we come to attention to and the way that that interacts with nature. Um, Those are two of our big themes, and I hope you enjoy it. It's so
0: gorgeous. It is so gorgeous. It is such a gorgeous climax. Mm -hmm. Honestly, pause this episode, go read the short story, enjoy. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Enjoy! Hello to you, Emily.
0: Ben, what's good, buddy?
1: Everything's good. Life is good. Things are good. And I hope things in the listener's life are good as well.
0: Yeah, listener. I hope so. You're welcome to email us, if not. (laughs)
1: Exactly. I can't promise we can do a lot, um, but as we cross the fourth wall and speak directly to you, the listener, I I gotta say, you know, if you ever need some help, you, you can send us a message, but... I can't promise we're going to be the best people to reach out to, but we'll we'll see what's up. <laughs> ben,
0: hi, hello, how are you? Confess to me, how was writing this week? Bad, month, not, unit of time, non-existent
1: in the last unit of time. I have been not doing it. It's been not great. Not my favorite time, but you know it is what it is. Ben, now, yeah,
0: what's what's up with that?
1: Uh, I'm at work, and at work, I'm working on the magazine a lot, and I'm trying to make th- sure things are good there, then just, you know, doing other things at work, and just trying to keep up with all that crap. Um, but yeah, and also, I just, like, haven't, like, I- I'm beginning to get the itch again, I can feel it, like, that I'm like, okay, it's, I'm starting to get antsy that I haven't written anything, so I, I need to sit down and write something, like... Mm. You know, I I think part of it is that I have a story that I never fully finished drafting. And there's that part of me that says, well, if you go back, you have to finish drafting that. And then it's like, but I don't want to finish drafting that. I hate that now. Now that's bad to me.
0: Not (laughs) only eat your veggies, but eat your veggies from two weeks ago.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like,
0: Ben, that's that's pretty mean. That's being pretty mean on yourself.
1: Yeah, I should probably just write whatever instead and just, you know, see what comes out of that and that'll probably be better. <laughs>
0: I'm pretty sure you're the resident write whatever guy on this yeah. pod. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mirror yeah. that advice back to
1: you. <laughs> exactly. I, I probably should follow my own advice and, and uh, just kind of write write something <laughs> instead of um, worrying about nothing.
0: <laughs> mm, mm
1: yeah mm. but yeah how about you, Emily? How is your writing?
0: Quite good because I'm Yay. not working. I uh, got laid off and this Yay. is my dream job. Severance <laughs> is my dream job. I have <laughs> never been more productive. Mm. Um, this is phenomenal. I'm I'm on such a good workout routine um, mm. and I'm actually writing. So nothing's come of it yet but I'm putting in the work and that's that's quite the change. Uh, I gotta say I think work, Mm-hmm. work might be the main obstacle to
1: writing work
0: that's uh, yeah. my spicy take
1: yeah because um, uh, the act of artistic creation is still a work it is labor in yeah. the, uh, the true sense um, so to compound that on top of other labor uh, is difficult and is difficult mm. for many working artists of all stripes, uh, writers included um, yeah mm. so I, I get that being free of the yoke of having to use your brain all goddamn day to do something and it allows you to use that brain for other things that makes a lot of sense yeah she's she's writing she's
0: putting those Ooh. fingertips to keypad
1: <laughs> hell yeah uh d- just wondering short form stuff you're working on a longer form thing right now or wh- where's it landing
0: We'll see what it becomes. Okay, um, I've cool. had an idea that I've been noodling on for a long time that I would love to make a longer form thing, um, but we'll see if it actually has enough momentum to be that um, once I get further into it. And in the meantime, I'm doing some, like, I like used to never, um, when I was working, because uh, I was, you know, usually working pretty significant amount of time per day, and um I would never just like kind of free write, and I'm actually Mm -hmm. just kind of trying to do more free writing. Because I I used to think, like, my gosh, if I have any time at all, I have to devote it to the really big long project that's so important, because Mm -hmm. otherwise I'll never get a big long project out, which is probably true, but also, Mm -hmm. like, creatively, I ran out of juice because I wasn't doing any, like, weird little ditties that may or may not eventually get folded into a bigger project or might just be a weird little ditty that stays in the notepad, and that's okay. I am hereby in favor of weird little ditties. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, me, me too. A weird little ditty will get you far. Or it, mm-hmm. at least it'll, you know, be something too. Because like, I, I, I feel similarly, like, when I've worried about stuff, it's like, oh, I got to write the novel, you know, the big project. I'll, I'll use the word like the, that it is. It's just like, oh, How God. dare you? If I want <laughs> to have written t- a novel in my life, I have to write a novel. But then there's also like part of me that's like, dog what if you just got a few short stories published at all like that would be a, a, that you'd also feel pretty good about it i think and i'm like well fuck you me but you're right <laughs> like, um, i like your internal
0: monologue
1: yeah. dog <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that okay okay detour mm-hmm. but um in your internal monologue
1: mm-hmm.
0: what do you refer to yourself as is it consistently dog
1: uh it's not consistently dog it's usually um it's usually it's usually i if i'm being completely honest it's usually a first person Mm -hmm. monologue but or you sometimes it's second person that that Mm -hmm. happens a fair amount referring to myself in the second person in my own head if i'm considering what i have to do i'm like you have to do this i say to myself denoting a weird you know metaphysical thing of what I consider the separation between thought and person right like yeah. yeah
0: on the first of the two very long hikes that I went on to process mm. being laid off mm-hmm. um, very long very hard hikes that I went on to process being laid off I realized that I had started internal monologuing in a gentle parenting way like mm. hi sweetheart I notice you're feeling a little cranky you want to sit down and have a snack for 10 minutes like <laughs> I was like, where's sweetheart? Who is she? Who is she? She doesn't want kids. Where is she coming from? I don't like this.
1: Oh, man. No, good for you, though, and being nice to yourself. Like, that rocks. Like, it's been a journey. It's been a journey.
0: My year of intense personal development.
1: Um. <laughs> That's nice. Like, you gotta do it. Come on, let's go. That's hey, bud.
0: The... <laughs> hey, bud, you're a little winded. You wanna look at the vista for a minute?
1: <laughs> did Did you ever, you know, how, how would you react to your own gentle parenting, though? Would, would the character take full shape of, like, the petulant child in response? No, no snack. I don't want it. <laughs> like... <laughs> No,
0: Ben, you know I've always been obedient to authority figures. Um, Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: man. But at least you're the authority figure in this. That rocks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fan. Recommend. Recommend a hard hike and also Mm -hmm. a lot more snacks than you think you'll need. It's worth the the weight to carry.
1: Okay. Um, What... Okay, can I ask you before the very irrelevant question to the podcast? But what's your snack loadout look like when you're going on a hike? What are you taking? Yeah, dude,
0: I'll do a lot. So Mm -hmm. um, trail mix is mandatory. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to take both something with off-brand M Ms or chocolate, and also something that's nutty and like cranberry as the as the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people. Have you heard of Gorpcore, by the way? I feel like you'd be inter- interested in this.
1: Gorpcore. No, but that sounds great. <laughs>
0: this is exactly your thing. So <laughs> Gorpcore is when is like streetwear and fashion wear of uh, camping and hiking gear and outdoor gear. Mm-hmm. So like mm-hmm. increasing, this is like a fashion trend called Gorpcore, where you'll wear like the very obnoxiously bold orange and bright colors of mm-hmm. hiking and camping, the mm-hmm. Cotopaxi like bright color mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Patagonia type like deep purple that's like not necessarily flattering on anyone But you like you will you can tell the, the point of hiking and camping gear being like brightly colored is if you're like looking in Your pack in the dark you mm-hmm. can very quickly tell I know my pants are orange I need my pants the bright orange like here. They are okay. Whereas like if all of your stuff is the same black like you're gonna dig in your pack for freaking ever and it's very annoying Yeah. Um, so Anyway, gorp core is a new fashion trend where you wear like hiking-inspired or camp outdoor gear-inspired clothes, mm-hmm. like as fashion as runway. Oh, cool. Um, gorp, G-O-R-P, stands for good old raisins and peanuts.
1: <laughs> oh man, they're Some people,
0: ref- yeah. Apparently, allegedly, some people refer to trail mix as gorp. Yeah, good everyone. old raisins and
1: peanuts. Everyone should refer to it as gorp. That's way like trail mix. Trail mix is a fun phrase, but I, I am now like deeply enticed by the term gorp to refer to something I'm, I would eat.
0: What a delightful series of sounds! However, I do strongly disagree. Raisins and peanuts are not the primary. Mm. They're not what's serving in a trail okay. mix for me. Okay. They are Fair. not the 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 um, reason for the season. Um, so it's it's. I'm struggling with gorp because I just don't like raisins and peanuts as much as yeah. I like chocolate and walnuts or mm-hmm. pecans.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Probably not in that mix.
1: Yeah. Anyway, but that is superior, um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, a lot of snacks. Um, I am a lot of protein bars.
1: Mm-hmm. A lot
0: mm-hmm. Granola bars. Um, definitely the dried mangoes or dry, uh, dried mangoes from Trader Joe's. That's like oh, essential yeah. essential mm-hmm. hiking stuff for me. Mm. Um, that's also fun to just pass it around because it's like I've got a lot of vegetarian friends, so like it's something mm-hmm. like jerky textured without being oh, offensive. Nice,
1: yeah, cool, cool, cool. That's great.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that was a tangent.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm very happy to know that. <laughs> like that that rocks. And, and yes, I, I second uh, the uh, the Trader Joe's dried mango is not just good for camping, but literally any time during the day that you want a delicious treat. Oh. The best. just really good. It's yeah. just really good.
0: Um, <laughs> yeah. Colorado girl teams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, man. Excellent. Yeah, so now that we have established uh, trail mix preferences, uh, as well as the fact that writing has been going well for you, which, awesome, very glad to hear that. Um, so sorry,
0: condolences to you. Nah. And your, um. <laughs> R-
1: rest in peace, me. But um, do we wish to move I- into... Uh, this this week's uh, topic, this story.
0: Let's talk about Catherine Harlan! Catherine Harlan! Harlan! Harlan. <laughs>
1: Harlan.
0: Okay, um, algal mm-hmm. bloom, like blooming algae, algal mm-hmm. bloom, mm-hmm is the first, first short short story in Katherine Harlan's debut short story collection, which I was obsessed with, um, Fruiting Bodies. I think mm-hmm. I posted about this on social media literally four times. Mm. Um, Fruiting Bodies is Katherine Harlan's debut short story collection. It came out, I believe, last year in 2022. And it is from uh, Norton & Company, which is an indie press. Um, a very prestigious, like well-established one, but Norton & Company. So this is an indie short story debut collection and I loved this collection. If you are looking for a lit short story collection, especially if you like queer themes or any of the themes that Ben and I are about to talk about, um, this thing rocked, fruiting bodies. Um, Algo Bloom, short story opens a collection and the earlier version of it was published by uh, Michigan Quarterly Review. So we'll link in the show notes, a link to the mm-hmm. Michigan Quarterly Review version because that is available online. Um, nice. If you would like to keep up with this episode, I recommend that you pause this episode, follow the link in the show notes, and mm-hmm. read the online version of it. And then yeah. I think you should buy the whole collection, but like, you'll enjoy this conversation more if you read at least the online version of the short story before
1: we talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's good. Uh, spoilers. It's, it's a good short story. You'll probably like it. It reads very fast. Uh, re- really entertaining read. Good stuff. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Ben. Mm-hmm. First impressions.
1: Well, I just gave them. Uh, the, <laughs> it's more. a it's a good story. Like I I, I like it a lot. Um, but to get to not just give the uh, classic, it's good. Um, let's uh, <laughs> let you work out here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me give you an actual um, opinion on the on the piece. Um, so yeah, so so we have this uh, story um, dealing with these uh, two young women, uh, one recently turned thirteen, the other twelve, um, going on thirteen. Um, together in the uh, mountains uh, for the summer. Uh, they are uh, friends only when they are here. They do not know each other outside of this place, but they both come here to visit their grandparents during the summer and spend time, you know, give their parents some time off from them, which um, is a good privilege to have i assume if you have a teenage child of any kind because mm-hmm. they do seem to be a bit of a problem as this story <laughs> uh, relates um
0: Ricky! Uh,
1: yeah um the uh the thing that i uh really like about this story is there's kind of a sense of creeping dread throughout mm. the whole thing like there's this very like like, sinister's not the word. It's not sinister. Like, no no one is, like, evil or anything in this, and there's not, like, a, a simmering violence, but there is just, like, you know, the, it, it's illustrated very well in the... I'm looking for the page, but they mention at some point, the narrator mentions that they realize, like, the omnipresence of death. Like, the, mm-hmm. the kind of, like, this creeping sensation and the realization of, of the end of all life, um, which is this kind of, like... It, which is the sense of dread that's throughout this story that's illustrated and that is what's spoken aloud. but I think that that like relates to an interior anxiety being expressed by the narrator like dealing with not just that but with like you know a bur- a, a burgeoning sexuality a a a newfound mm-hmm. a, a new like relationship to, her grandparents and her friends into all these things and just that general adolescent anxiety without being able to put a name on it. So it just kind of reaches out its tendrils into everything. And I I think that comes through really well in, in that sense of dread brought about in those parts that are said aloud, which are things like that, Realization of the omnipresence of death. I think it's also represented very well in the ways that the um, narrator and her friend are very mean to the narrate to the uh, friend's younger sister for like yeah. no real reason. Like they cousin, they just kind yeah. of the sh- cousin. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah. They they just kind of like really like hammer on this very young girl. She she's maybe like eight or something. And, yeah. and they're just incredibly mean to her the entire time to the point where she says as much. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, that it just kind of comes in this form of lashing out and not being sure how to control that emotion. And I think it does a great, a great part of just like showing that quietly and having the loud parts that are stated be the, um, the effects of that cause while never stating the cause directly within the, within the piece itself. And I think that was lovely.
0: Love, love that. Mm -hmm. So agree. Um, yeah, I think i so firmly agree, it's a pretty quiet story. Um, and the like tension is mostly quiet or implied, and it th- mm-hmm. makes it very literary. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they are incredibly mean. So it's two main characters, Vienna and the narrator. Vienna's the 13-year-old. The narrator's the 12-year-old going on 13. And then um, the grandparents, they've got um, Vienna, the friends, uh, younger cousin Abigail and then the younger cousin's aunt. Um, those are I think every character mentioned here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And they are Vienna and the narrator are just like so freaking mean to Abigail for no reason mm-hmm. um, in ways that we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, But most importantly Ben, I just love like really good lit fic has so many different elements going on at the same time that like
1: mm-hmm.
0: readers from different backgrounds can latch on and, like, be excited about different elements entirely. Like, Mm -hmm. of course, Ben, who loves horror, loved this creeping sense of dread. And, of course, I, who am squeamish and don't read any horror other than the ones that Ben makes Mm me, (laughs) didn't even, like, kind of over my head, (laughs) you you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I love that about really good short stories that, like, we can, like, yeah, you're right. That's totally there. And it just, like, hardly even uh,
1: registered for me. I love it. All right, so then my question to you is then what 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 is it that you're finding in this story? Well, what, what what stands out for you?
0: Um, three things I want to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Starting with, um, this story has a really good representation of this whole collection. Um, Catherine Harlan does like amazing work with like tension between the two main characters. There's usually two main characters in these short stories. They're usually both queer women, and there's like something. Unspoken. One of them is more attached than the other, is afraid that she's more attached than the other. And I really like how that's done in this story. Um, So let's let's just pause and talk about that for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, Starting with, I want to read the quote on the first page of this book that made me, like, from the first page of this book, realize this is going to be my short story collection of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, Is the narrator and Vienna are greeting each other for the first time. And the narrator says, I missed you, I said, and then worried that she would not have also missed me. Have you seen it? The lake?
1: Mm-hmm. S- mm-hmm.
0: Oh my God, what delicious dialogue. <laughs> like, I missed you, realized that you just went out on a limb for no reason, and then you quickly changed the subject. Yeah. Um, that was delicious. It established their dynamic so quickly that like the narrator really admires Vienna and is afraid to articulate it and doesn't want to take the risk of articulating it. And um yeah it's just a delicious way to deliver dialogue like throw in that dynamic and then change the subject
1: so that they can keep talking about have you seen the lake or not yet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah exactly just that immediate taking it back not allowing the other character to even respond in kind like it following that so you know and then the the ambiguous moment right after that where vienna is she nodded as she straightened up and what's that in response to is it in response mm-hmm. to being missed? Is it in response to the lake? The narrator's muddled it for herself so she can never know the truth of, about what's going on. Like Yeah. yeah.
0: Take the risk, kid. Like, yeah. you could find out where you stand if you let her. Like, risk being vulnerable and then you get the information that you are hoping for.
1: Yeah. Ugh. Exactly. Ugh. <laughs> like, <laughs> Delicious.
0: So first and foremost, I just love the tension between these mm-hmm. two characters, mm-hmm. um, and like the power dynamic too. Mm-hmm. Because um, one thing interesting in the story is like the narrator likes Vienna more than Vienna expresses liking the narrator, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For sure, mm-hmm. um, and thinks Vienna's cool and edgy. Mm-hmm. However, it's Vienna's the one with the absentee caregivers here it's the narrator's grandparents who are driving them places it's the narrator's Mm -hmm. grandparents who is letting Vienna come stay over Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. inside the narrator's head Vienna has the power but like objectively from the outside the narrator is providing the space for their friendship and providing Vienna something to do all summer
1: yeah yeah And, and I think it's interesting because it's like that that power dynamic that you're speaking on there is like is one that the narrator is handing to Vienna the entire time. She, It's not a scenario... Like, Vienna has, like, a dominant personality, for sure. Like, mm-hmm. she's very, like, laissez-faire. Like you said, edgy is, I think, the right word. Something that she's gonna kind of say what she wants and do what she wants, which holds a lot of power when you're a 13-year-old. Like, that does have, a, like, a, a shocking effect on other 13-year-olds, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is, is that... All power that she has is just what uh, the narrator is reading on to her as Mm -hmm. being powerful and, and just, like, not realizing that she is literally in the exact same position, potentially, like, could be doing exactly the same thing, behaving in exactly the same way, and in many ways is... And we just don't see what Vienna's internal monologue in relation to that is, because it might be the exact same thing. Like, the same yeah. fear and anxiety are definitely exuding from her in the same way throughout the story. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I love that about it. And I like too, the main thing that I love in this story and in the rest of the collection is how she approaches villainy. Who is mm-hmm. the bad guy here? And mm-hmm. um, And I think the story really captures, in a way, in this story, it's about like the narrator starts being fucking villainous Mm -hmm. in order to keep up with Vienna. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
0: I'm gonna read two examples of that. Um, First, uh, they're talking, they're being super mean to Abigail in this section. It's on page nine. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to put beetle eggs in your mouth while you sleep. Vienna stretched out her legs. Her foot brushed against my side, her thigh right next to my cheek. I could smell the lake water on her, feel the damp heat of her skin almost in my mouth. The heat of a fire started in wet leaves. I felt suddenly panic sick at the prospect of the dry trees, all that hollow, still standing firewood. You're not, Abigail said, and I kicked her, lightly, because I could. Yeah. Like, Mm. oh my god, so delicious. Like she's <laughs> trying to impress Vienna, trying to be like Vienna, trying to model her behavior, and yeah. is therefore being mean for no good reason <laughs> to an eight-year-old. <laughs>
1: exactly to a, like a, a child being mean to a more helpless child. Significantly, like, significant,
0: like <laughs> Abigail also has all this health problem. Like it's yeah, exactly. Like, you like, are like, being so bad. Like, <laughs> Do not be doing
1: this! The whole thing about Abigail is, like, they introduce her as, like, having this horrible cough that never goes away, and all the doctors and adults are just like, well, we don't really know what's wrong with her, and, then she and the narrator just like, I wish you were dead, and she's like, well, I might be, like... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I also, like, do want to say kind of big props to Abigail during all of this, because... Abigail throughout this throughout the thing like she never like starts crying or anything like that she never like lets them get to her exactly e- even when they're at their absolute worst she kind of like holds strong and just like, like the point when she says you're being mean like it's not like it's said through choked tears or anything it the way I read it is just she's like you're being really mean like you just seems, yeah. like what are you doing <laughs> like this is a well-adjusted <laughs> eight-year-old like yeah. I
0: well, I also feel like um, as an adult, I just notice if people are being bullied more than I noticed when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Did you get that too? Where like in, as a kid, I just like literally would not pick up on it yeah. some of the time. Like I thought like, oh, that's just, yeah, just that's our friend group dynamic is we all kind of make fun of this one person, you
1: know, like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, just like, like, I have had, you know, those like, cold like pit of stomach like i made a horrible mistake that i can't ever rectify because it's in the past feelings about moments like that just like oh we shouldn't have done that we shouldn't have said that stuff to that guy that was awful we were we said we were his friends and that's how we were talking to him terrible like yeah Awful. (laughs) although
0: i will say i was usually the friend at the recipient of that Uh, wait okay detour
1: yeah (laughs) i have to tell you
0: this summer i was in telluride colorado which is in a incredibly wealthy
1: mm-hmm.
0: mountain town in mm-hmm. southeastern Colorado. Like mm-hmm. been there. Not only is there a public bus, there's a public gondola.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me, tell you, ride. Um.
0: <laughs> and, um, I, I had been on like a five day camping car ride, car road, road trip through Colorado mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. a couple of friends mm-hmm. and we were taking the gondola from Telluride to Mountain View, which is the town next to Telluride where the gondola ends. Mm -hmm. And you just like six people fit in a gondola. So like there were three of us or eight people or whatever it was. And we were in there with like um, a number of middle school kids.
1: Uh, Terrifying. Um, And these
0: were like middle school kids who were summering in Telluride, Uh, I'm using air quotes. uh, And just like we all, (laughs) my two friends and I just like all looked at each other like, they can't hurt us now. Like, they can't <laughs> hurt us now. Because like, they were, like, just being so mean in ways that, like, oh. as each, maybe I couldn't recognize then, but as an adult, yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, you can't be talking
1: about people like that. Like, yeah, yeah. Christ. Oh, <sighs> that's horrifying. That's, I, I would have waited for another gondola. I would not have gotten on. That's too scary. Yeah. <laughs> it
0: was so alarming. It was so alarming. I, like, literally been, I had the thought to myself on this gondola ride, like, Model adult kindness. Like speak mm-hmm. to each other. Emily, speak to your friends right now as you wish <laughs> middle schoolers spoke to each other. And I was like, "Hey, Shelby, <laughs> I really like." <laughs> I- <laughs>
1: I have so much respect for you and your personhood and acknowledge your complex struggle just as if it were my own. And then like a middle schooler just shouts a slur at you like that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, my God.
0: Anyway, can we find that section where Abigail says you guys are being mean for no reason? Yeah. Abigail's coughing again and they're teasing her saying... Um, did you drink the lake water? Because the lake water has this poisonous algae bloom. Yeah. Um, Abigail finished her coughing. She straightened. She drew in a long breath that I could hear rasping all the way down her throat. Why are you so mean, she said. And she sounded just astonished by it. Yeah. Vienna then says, don't be a little bitch. And mm-hmm. Abigail says, you can't say that. And then Vienna says a bunch of slurs in order to be edgy bitch bitch whore dyke Slut. horrified i giggled into the heel of my palm we were in middle school and it felt good to be liked by someone who didn't like many people you both you're both so mean abigail repeated you're both so horrible and so
1: mean to me yeah Go Abigail. Just like, yeah, exactly. You'll go Abigail. Uh, standing her ground on that, like not, you know, <laughs> we, we have a little bit of reaction where where she's just like, Jesus, the, why? The, like I think you have the problem, is how that reads. It's like, well, what's going on? Like, I didn't do anything. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Literally,
0: she's just coughing. Why are you being so mean to her? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, they were being super mean for no damn yeah. reason. Um, yeah. Other than, as the narrator says, it feels good to be liked by someone who's mean at the time. If you haven't been to therapy yet and that feels familiar to you, um, yeah, someone disapproving, actually approving of you, like, that feels amazing. So that's the dynamic that the narrator's seeking with Vienna. Um, yeah. There's one other moment I want to... Uh, one other quick quote I want to read about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, narrator says page 13 what about your aunt and then vienna says that bitch i blanched i liked chelsea how she was pretty and young looking kind to her annoying daughter and so far as i could tell mysteriously husbandless she was something like what i thought womanhood could be the confidence kindness long hair and narrow body i didn't know chelsea well but i wanted her to like me too i wanted vienna to like me more though so i said nothing Mm. about vienna calling her aunt uh, a bitch yeah um Middle schooler logic. Truly mm-hmm. middle schooler logic. Like, the mean yeah. kid being less mean to you than they're mean to everybody else.
1: Yeah. Like, that's a middle schooler desire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, just the the, the approval-seeking uh, uh, of it all. I'm just looking for that anywhere. And like you like said, especially from someone that doesn't give it. Like, someone who, like, if it's rare approval. And, and it's mm-hmm. also approval that is, like, given through, like, obedience, to, to a certain mm. extent is how this feels like you know oh this person mm. likes me because I am agreeing with them on everything they say like I'll allow their personality to subsume me which is like why she goes into bullying Abigail later on because she's you know existing within that space like yeah existing within in the space of, and mirroring Vienna back to her yeah
0: yeah but at the same time Whatever your motivation is, if you're a bully, yeah. you're a bully.
1: Like, yeah. You have... Yeah.
0: I just find the story, and she does this again in another story in this collection, Fruiting Body is the titular... I love that word, titular story. Mm-hmm. Um, we are like, you're empathizing with the point of view character, you're empathizing with the point of view character. She does some rank shit.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... You're kind of, I, I as a reader, I felt kind of, like, shocked. You know, I felt yeah. like, oh, my God, I've been along for this ride this whole time. But at the end of the day, she just did something villainous. Yeah. And it yeah. made
1: me realize, oh, my
0: God, I've been sympathizing with someone who turns into the villain.
1: Yeah. I I think that's interesting to use the term villain to describe these things. Because they, they this is a story that I, I think does, like doesn't have that clear protagonist antagonist structure like you're saying because that's what you're saying right now like you're describing the protagonist as the villain and not in an anti-hero sort of way like not to use mm-hmm. the you know the tropes that we're all familiar with like it doesn't fall into that like it, it, it's not because she doesn't do anything heroic it's not that kind of story like it, it, no. where that sort of thing happens like yeah it, it, it's it's much more this you know the the messy human nature of it all um being that you know this person that we follow and like you said empathize with because like i do feel for this child like you know she's discovering herself and having a hard time of it as many as everyone does and it's you know what Mm -hmm. what how can you not feel empathetic towards that but then you know to see how that like bubbles over into people doing bad things and like making poor choices for how they're going to display themselves and what they're going to be in those moments when they have the opportunity to do otherwise is is you know is very apparent like especially because we have this young character the the narrator being someone who's coming to terms with her sexuality and it's being implied that she is queer in some way or another and then Seeing this woman, Chelsea, who they are also implying is queer in one way or another um, with her mysterious husbandlessness, this potential role model and this rejection of this person in favor of this other person who doesn't even, like, who for the most part, as far as we can tell, likes the narrator because she just agrees with her. Like, yeah.
0: Yeah. We don't get any interiority on Vienna. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. No, not at all.
0: Yeah. 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 Until I sensed, in the scene where they go into the poisonous algae yeah. bloomed lake, yeah. um, I got the sense that Vienna, that each of them did not want to be in this lake and knew this yeah. was a bad idea,
1: but didn't want to be the one who checked punked out. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. Like that, that's such a strong scene too. Like that, that's the center point of the story. Of course, is when they enter this this poisoned water. And like, don't don't even know if it's gonna kill them because they've been told that it's gonna kill them already. And like, we know that it doesn't because we have flashes forward. But yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they literally had a rumor about like a Jack Russell Terrier dying, yeah. like, terribly because of swimming in this water. Um, yeah. what um, what about the language made it the centerpiece yeah. for you? Uh, uh,
1: let's see. Like like this moment. Like it, it, the thing. Uh, I'll go to the language, of course, but just while I'm looking for that, um, you know, that the, the feels with such, like, a, um, you know, metaphorical center in the piece to me because it, mm-hmm. it it's, like, this moment where, you know, like I said, like, I, I was very attracted to this creeping sense of dread throughout of it and, and this, like, you know the the realization of the presence of death in all things as she examines her grandparents aging and her friends and then seeing the literal like poisoned water like that this water going from you know potable to non-potable um you know going towards that and then entering into the poisoned well essentially like like dipping their bodies in it is kind of like you know coming and and gaining as close a contact with death itself as they possibly can in that moment, and, like, touching it, putting their hand right up to it, and challenging it to a certain extent, even though they don't want to, but, like, we all have to, to a certain extent, because one day we all must face it in truth, in in all of its, you know, horrifying necessity. Um, And they, they come to the water and literally, like, subsume themselves in it, in the knowledge of death, and then have to Then emerge from it forever changed, with the knowledge of their own mortality throughout the rest of the rest of their lives. Like, and and it just comes through. I love
0: this guy. I
1: love this guy. This has been so
0: cool. Can you tell Ben was a a a philosophy major in undergrad? Like, I love this
1: guy. (laughs) For (laughs) sure. Yeah. But, but yeah, it, it just works so potently, like they, they, as the they have to go to it, you know, it has to be there. And, and just mm-hmm. it's just beautifully described in, in that moment. Of course with the with the very innocuous beginning of the phrase, let's go swimming on page eighteen, the top of there like mm. let's go swimming just so casual, so mm-hmm. like just such like, a fuck you to death and also like kind of a fuck you to each other to a certain extent just be like I'll be brave mm-hmm. will you be brave like and she said yes and put the flashlight down to take off her clothes uh, they have a moment where, where she, the narrator is uh, looking at the uh, at, um, at the other character um, you know and then the water was predictably slimy around my toes but it felt good like wading into a field and once it was high enough we could see the green fairly clearly it was different than what, than it would have been in the daytime blacker but it still moved around us like magic. I thought about frogs that breathe through their skin. I thought about what I could take into my body through my body. It's Vienna Mm. breathed, and then she kicked her feet off the ground, dropped onto her back, her arms spread at her sides, the algae rippled out from her, her fingers slid accidentally, probably accidentally, against my ribs, and my throat hurt, and the curl of my fingers hurt, and I tried not to look at her naked body, focused on just her chin jutting above the water her pale nose like the head of a fish, her cold lips. I reached for her with both hands, touched her shoulders, and nothing more, and imagined her diffusing in the water, the slow creep Mm. of green up from her fingers, up from her toes. I imagined her body dissolving into millions of cells of algae, millions of little flowers floating there separate and together, mixing with my body, indistinguishable, until we and the lake were one thing. Like that's so good, dude. Like that's god uh,
0: damn.
1: Oh, it's that's so good, dude. Yeah, that's so cool. Like that. That's just in those moments, you know. That this final paragraph, like, I imagine her body dissolving into. Like that. That's the. That's the death process, you know. That's the. I. I mm. The unbecoming of the self and of the the body and of everything, and, and just becoming nothingness and that nothingness mixing with everything else like that you know realization of of that you know horrible terrible beautiful fate that awaits everything like it it just it's all right there in that paragraph you know it's it's really really well done really beautiful yeah
0: what my body could take in through my body too the language Uh, uh, contrasts with a quote from earlier Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. she says like back then we believed we could only um, take things in. They they were like, it's probably fine so long as you don't drink it. And she says, back then we believed we could only take things in if we had control over what our bodies took in. That there was only one way to let something into my body, that it couldn't enter me unless I allowed it. And that language, just like the simplicity of the earlier statement contrasted Mm -hmm. with like, well, thinking of what my body could take in through my body just like really sings and really says, Hey, girl, this is the climax. Like, tune in.
1: <laughs> the yeah. language
0: is leveled up. This is yeah. the climax. Get ready. Yeah. Um, oh, God, that's gorgeous. Yeah. And and that I... actually
1: even calls back further, too, to a, a, a moment earlier on, I think, where, where she mentions about her... Um, something about how she thought of her body as um, something that would just do what she told it to. Like, this hmm. level of control over that. Like, the, this thing that you have it's just this thing that you command rather than this thing that exists in the world like yeah it's such a such a culmination of those paragraphs yeah I'm sorry go ahead
0: Don't apologize for that that is a phenomenal <laughs> point <laughs> <laughs> It's also something I think that comes through a lot of editing um, mm-hmm. and revision mm-hmm. process mm-hmm. right there's mm-hmm. I think like I I would be shocked if she had planted those two seeds so flawlessly that early in the story. Yeah. Before, like, it, I think the process was yes. probably, she wrote this gorgeous fucking climax. Yes. And then went back and said, oh, wait, okay, I need to, like, breadcrumb this a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I think you're completely correct. That's an excellent point. Yeah, absolutely. Okay.
0: so the third and final thing I wanted to talk about was what do you think the point of the algal bloom is? And I think mm-hmm. you've already said you think it's death.
1: Yes. Yeah, uh, that, that's what I think it is. It's especially with the very ending. Like I I th- uh, I am curious to know if you have a different read on it, but just that that very ending when they go down to the le- the lake and all of the fish are dead. Like I- mm-hmm. in this moment of terror, you know, like that the, the just in, in like on a non-metaphorical level in the world of the story. Like if you just went swimming in that lake the night before and you go down the next morning and now all the fish are dead? You've been here for weeks and they weren't dead yet, and now the night that you were there. <laughs> yeah, it's that, like was it more was it extra poisonous last night? Did I do that? Was that me? Steve Urkel? Um, I guess. Um, yeah. Oh, terrifying. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it's a phenomenal ending. Um especially like I love an ending where like, you know, I love when the dialogue contrasts with the scene mm-hmm. and it's such an ugly thing to look at. And then the final moment of dialogue is the narrator's grandma saying, look at that, which I kind of only say about positive things. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the, the dialogue is really on point throughout this story it, it, the way it contrasts between the, um, the, the um, narrated w- uh, work. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I've got a philosophy major friend to remind me that things are actually just representing death. Um, because well, my take
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Please.
0: was that I liked that, um, there was no explanation given of why there was an algae bloom this year. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, um, my, I'm, I'm a pretty practical, often very literal reader on first draft mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. um, so I really liked that it was just like this terrible poisonous thing that is, nobody gets in, these narrators don't care, this narrator does not care about like the science of why algae blooms or why it's happening here. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I have to tie it in because this is a lake house summer vacation for the narrator and for Vienna mm-hmm. in the Sierras. Mm-hmm. I have to bring up John Muir's My First Summer in the Sierra. Um, okay. Hello, she's an environmentalist girly. <laughs> um, <laughs> Do you know this book, John Muir's? No, the, my first summer in the Sierra. Uh, John Muir uh, kicked up, kicked off the. He founded the Sierra Club, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he, which really started like environmentalism as a political activism. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it is based on a summer that he spent enjoying the mountains of California, the Sierra Nevada range, which is where the story is set, and it's also another summer in the Sierra. So I picked up, I leafed through my old copy of my first summer in this era, and I wanna read two things that John Muir has to say about about why nature exists and isn't explained to Mm. non-naturalists. Like most other things not apparently useful to man, it has few friends and the blind question, why was it made, goes on and on with never a guess that first of all, it might have been made for itself. Um, just an attitude about like Mm -hmm. nature not as like something that God made for the Christian man to control but just like it's there like it is Mm -hmm. it just is Mm -hmm. Um, and hold on second quote Uh, John Muir has like some conflicting like that's my interpretation of that first John Muir quote Mm -hmm. he's got another two others I want to read really fast um, These blessed mountains are so compactly filled with God's beauty; no petty personal hope or experience has room to be. Mm-hmm. So, being on a phenom- in a beautiful space like you're, you have trouble being caught up in your own personal drama. No petty uh, personal hope or experience has room to be. Um, so here he's kind of saying, like, the point of nature in some cases is just to be like it's so pretty that like you forget yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lastly. Uh, No Sierra landscape that I have seen holds anything truly dead or dull or any trace of what is in manufactories is called rubbish or waste. Everything is perfectly clean and pure and full of divine lessons. So in the Sierra Nevada Mountain Range, I've never seen anything truly dead, nothing that is trash. Everything is perfectly clean and and pure and full of divine lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, So here he's saying like, even if we may not understand the point of this fallen tree, like, it is serving a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have to understand why nature is happening Mm -hmm. in order for it to, like, play a influential role in how we interpret things. So Mm -hmm. even though we don't know why the algae bloom happened, we understand, we can accept that it did, that it has its purpose within this landscape that we may not understand, Mm -hmm. and we can definitely, like... Invince, like take take lessons from it and like interact with it in a way that uh, poisons fish or uh, gets a twelve uh, year old to understand herself better.
1: Absolutely, like like yeah, exactly. I I think the point you made the that first quote you bring in re- resonates really deeply on that. It it exists because it exists without us, right? Like that that you know he brings in a Muir brings an excellent point there, saying like, what is the purpose of nature? It's like that's contradictory to what. You, what nature is on, on its base level? It is inherently without purpose. It is simply itself. It is beyond us. We are an aspect of. We are of it. It is not in f- service of us by any yeah. means. If you're gonna take yourself in the, if you're gonna bring yourself into the equation at all, like it yeah. might have
0: been made for itself. It might have been yeah. made for itself. Um, that said, uh, John Muir was writing in like the eighteen hundreds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this book was published in 1911. So uh, that is pretty far before we started uh, interfering with the environment. So actually, it is arguable, you know, this algae bloom might be due to um, chemical waste or runoff, or I don't even know. Uh, I don't know enough about the science of this. Um, Uh, So it might be due to man-made action, and it might not have been made for itself, per se.
1: The story brings in, like, a a slightly there's a conversation between the grandparents about this, right? Like, uh, Mm -hmm. earlier in the story, they're kind of saying, like, oh, you know, we're... This could be a result of climate change. It could not be a result of climate change. You know, they're, they're having that kind of... The very, like, standard politicized argument between the, you know center left and center right in america about that sort of thing uh-huh. um they, they have the, the very tried version of it for sure um and, and it does seem like you know something like this algae bloom is as much the result of that as anything else but even if it is the result of that the processes of nature are still like it's going to happen because of these other factors it's not a controlled thing it's just simply the result they it, it's a reaction to the the environment reacting to as other aspects of the environment and it, instead of it being something that is done to a purpose it's just mm-hmm. a a causal relationship yeah mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah i mean with your larger point about like this representing death um this is also representing just to interpret death more broadly things outside of your control.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah,
0: Death happens to all of us. Things that are outside mm-hmm. of our control happens
1: to all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the even like, better, like, you know, wider interpretation of what the story is trying to talk about is the, these ways that we don't control these things. Because we have this narrator is this character who is making these choices that she doesn't fully even agree with in herself and you could say that that is a lack of control maybe a chosen lack of control to a certain extent but a a still you know you know choosing to kowtow to the cruelty of Vienna rather than Mm -hmm. uh, attempting to, you know, state her own mind is something that is to a certain extent out of her control because of her, you know, her attraction to Vienna and and her desire to be accepted by Vienna. She loses some of her control and allows it to be subsumed into this other character. Like, yeah. Yeah,
0: she is an agent who chooses to not exercise her agency. Like, she Mm -hmm. could choose to... Disagree with Vienna, but instead mm-hmm. she takes proactive action, exercises agency in order to just follow whatever Vienna's tone set.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: Mm. It's just a really good short story. Yeah, those are my great. concluding thoughts. Concluding yeah. thoughts for you? Uh,
1: yeah, completely agree. The excellent <laughs> short story, very, very well done. Re- really like some gorgeous language throughout. Um, yeah, uh, do you, but if there's gonna be a writing exercise about this, what would you suggest?
0: My writing exercise, this and Fruiting Bodies in particular, but this entire collection just does such a phenomenal job of giving you, bringing you along for character motivation and then oftentimes the character does something that I disagree with or that I don't think is wise. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think writing exercise, like have your character Touch, can you um rewrite your story from the from the perspective of the character who does the thing that is bad? Mm. And like if there is a villain in your story, could you tell it, could you tell at least as an exercise a shortened version of your story from that villain's perspective? Like, is that yeah. character who's doing that thing that is bad this you know this in a, in a different version of this this could be told from Abigail's perspective as like the summer I got bullied for bullied to shit for no reason mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um so can you take a character who might do something mean in your story and uh just at least as a flash exercise tell it from their perspective what is what is going on in their mind that brought them to do that action that is mean or
1: bad yeah absolutely i think that's a great exercise uh, just to understand motivations if nothing else the, that comes out of that like because it's important that you know our antagonists have human motivations and, and realistic motivations just the same as, as that unless you are writing some sort of cartoon villain but that is a different thing like yeah mm.
0: yeah. yeah, we do not uh doesn't often do a villain with no good motivation
1: yeah they're exactly. out there though mm. they're out there that's yeah. my exercise idea. Beautiful, uh, I love it. Do, do you have a recommendation that you wish to impart upon us?
0: Um, getting laid off is my recommendation. <laughs> I've just been—I'm so happy.
1: Oh <laughs> like, yeah, no. Fuck I'm really work. sad. <laughs> I'm
0: really sad. I love that job. I hope I find one that's uh, equally good. You know, yeah. this can't last forever. But like, yeah. I'm having a great time, and I am reading a poetry anthology um, called Queer Nature. Speaking mm. of. Uh, being gay and thinking about nature themes. Queer nature, Hell yeah! The poetry anthology.
1: Cool. Yeah, what what are, what's a highlight from that that you've enjoyed so far?
0: Do you know Paula Gunn Allen? No. Cool. She's a poet. She does a lot of um, indigenous writing, mm. and she has a poem called "Taking a Visitor to See the Ruins." That I loved. It felt it like really appealed to my fiction sensibility and like my desire for like a climax or a turn or a Ooh, reveal.
1: Neat. Would you be willing to take a picture of that and send it to me so I could read it? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> and if you. I can find it online, dear reader, I'll link it, if not, by this poetry anthology. Uh, Taking a Visitor to See the Ruin by Paula Gunn Allen from Beautiful. Queer Nature.
1: Beautiful. Thank you. Um, I guess that means it is my turn to make a recommendation. Um, I am going to recommend... Um, we we may end. I, I think we will end up talking about this on a future episode of Good Writing because I do have a section that I want to pull from it. But I'll just talk about it now too. Um, I've been reading Sutri by Cormac McCarthy. Um, hmm. It's really good. Uh, I'm I basically as soon as Cormac McCarthy passed, I chose that as the moment I was like, I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to read all of his books now, and I have embarked on a journey of just you know reading them all in order. Uh, this <laughs> is his fourth one. Um, so I've gotten through a few, and it's it's really fascinating compared to the first three. Uh, Cormac McCarthy, if you know anything about him, is known for being a very dark writer. Um, mm-hmm. In a lot of his stuff, like very violent, stark, um, biblical themes throughout. Uh, this novel is uh, in great contrast to all that. About a guy that just kind of hangs out, like <laughs> he, he's just kind of like a dude just chilling around with his weird, shitty friends. And it's, like, 500 pages long, and the, it, it's really beautifully written. And there is some Dark McCarthy stuff in there, of course, because he can't help himself. But, like, so much of it is just, like, I don't know, just kind of about a goober hanging out with other goobers, and they they do some shit. Like, he, he, you know, nothing much happens, and that's fine. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's a really good—it's it, just a, a very relaxing read, a very kind of, you know— uh something to ruminate on a lot of the time like it is a very Mm. big thing throughout this like it just kind of like these little incidents happen and you just kind of get to examine them and they feel very human and real and and, um you know tragic and comic at the same time it's it's very good i I like it a lot and and i think we'll probably end up doing a section of it for our next episode or some episode down the line yeah sweet
0: sounds great what was
1: the name again uh s-u-t-t-r-e-e cool Um.
0: This concludes this week, bi-week, month, quarter, or annual episode.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I hope not annual, of the Good Writing
0: Podcast. Um, Thank you for listening. Uh, We've been the Good Writing Podcast. Uh, We've got an email address if you'd like to email us, goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. Ben, do you want to plug your lit mag?
1: Yes, I also want to do that. Uh, Submit to Magazine One. Uh, We are still open until November 5th. For uh, submissions, uh, that's magazine-one.com. That's magazine-the numeral one.com/slash-submit. That'll take you right to our page. You can submit with through our Duo Suma account. We do not have a submittable because it's too expensive. Uh, we have a Duo Suma because we can afford it right now. Um, so, but it's if you have a Duo Trope account, you already have a Duo Suma submission account. If not, you oh. just start a free trope account. You don't need the paid version to do any of this. Um, and submission fee for the magazine is $5. Uh, we take all comers, uh, fiction, poetry, nonfiction, uh, visual art. It is, if you have visual art that you would like to submit, please submit visual art. We have received zero visual art submissions, and we really do oh. need some. Um, that would be really helpful to us and would be good. Because I don't want to have to ask my manager, who is a visual artist, to uh, be the person that does the cover for us. But I will if no one else does. But if you submit it, something we would really love that.
0: Uh you need a cover. You need yeah. a cover image, preferably interior images. Yeah. Too. Um. I will echo. I'll, I'll put that on blast. I'll yeah. put that on blast for you, Ben. Cool. Thank um. You. And Ben is just like. If, if the rest of the team is anything like Ben like Ben's just such a tender freaking reader as you can tell from this very episode <laughs> I just love his thoughts on things so don't be shy he's a he'll he'll, he'll be kind and, and thoughtful mm-hmm. with your piece
1: yes please so submit away my friends and I would really love if you mention in your bio that you're a good writing podcast listener uh, I will notice and I'll leave it at that <laughs> 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 Dope. (laughs) Thanks, everybody.
0: (laughs) Have a great week, a month, or other unit of time. (laughs) Yes,
1: peace be with you. (laughs) Until (laughs) the next time. (laughs) Bye. Bye.